Kim Thomas. Welcome to the Advent season of Curate's Corner, where we are celebrating that because of the love of God for sinners, he sent Christ to bring us the joy of salvation, the hope of eternal life, and the peace of God to rule our hearts. Don't forget to take advantage of the PDF available to download at advent.thevillagechapel.com or in the show notes below. Last week, the focus of our podcast was the love of God, and this week will be the joy of our salvation as we celebrate this Advent season, remembering Christ's first appearing and anticipating his return. Today, we'll kick that off with a discussion of a 1482 painting entitled The Annunciation, and that means the announcement of the incarnation, in particular, to Mary, specifically this one by Hans Memling. The medium is oil on oak panel, and it is 30 inches tall by 21.5 inches wide, which means it's a little less than three feet tall and a little less than two feet wide. But when you look at it, it has a much larger presence even in photos. It's on display in the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City. I'm going to brag just a little bit because I'm looking forward to seeing it in person on a trip in December. I've already mapped off how I'm going to get there and where the gallery is and uh, set off a special amount of time to be able to sit in front of it. So I'm looking forward to that. But today, I hope that I'll be able to describe this for you and hopefully you'll download the PDF so you can get a look at it and maybe even Google this painting so you can really study it. It's a beautiful piece. And in fact, um, many say one of uh, Hans Memling's most creative and beautiful pieces. Uh, Hans Memling was a German-born painter of the early Netherlandish school He was known for his portraits and religious scenes. And though German-born, he ended up settling for the majority of his life in Bruges, Belgium. And he had his workshop there, established an amazing practice. And he also was fortunate enough to train under a very well-known and established painter, Rohir van der Wieden. He was one of the probably top painters, most well-known of the Netherlandish school and most well-established. So indeed, this was a, a real coup for Memling to be able to train under him and to learn uh, and study so closely with him. Memling had a very successful career, and it's actually known that he owned a large stone house, and by 1480, he was listed among the wealthiest citizens on the city tax accounts. Now we know that that wasn't true for all uh, the many artists that we know today as famous, uh, people like Van Gogh, who died very poor, many artists who didn't know any fame in their day. It was only uh, posthumous that they came to fame. But um, Hans Memling had a very lucrative practice while he was alive and many, many followers. 
But like other 15th century Flemish artists, Memling painted religious imagery in the pictorial language of their own everyday life. The incarnation was not bound by time or place, of course, and the artist portrays it in his own context rather than a first century context. Memling places this particular annunciation in an elegant bedchamber. Many of the well-chosen furnishings by the artist have symbolic connotations. It's not likely that Mary lived in such plush surroundings, but it is a beautiful setting to stir the imagination. The characters in the piece are Mary, two attending angels, Gabriel, and a small dove that hovers over Mary, representing the Holy Spirit. So picture in your head with me, Mary as the central and largest figure, but only slightly larger than Gabriel. She's clothed in white and is partially swooning. The two attending angels, one to her left, one to her right, tend her and support her. Her own gentle gaze and hand over her heart express the servant of God that the book of Luke portrays her to be. Gabriel is clothed in beautifully decorated cloak and vestments and is in a semi-curtsy position as he gestures respectfully towards Mary, clearly bringing her this amazing news that she has been chosen to bear the Christ child. The strong red color throughout is the first thing you see, and it's this velvety pigment that I don't know quite how they achieved it, except it must have been with layers and layers of pigment. And then the responding contrast of Mary's pure white gown is a beautiful response to the red. Described as, as I said, one of Memling's finest and most original works, it's the fine iconography and symbols that Memling has mingled into the painting that makes it most intriguing for the viewer. If you're of my age, you might remember the Highlights magazines where on the cover you would have to find the hidden squirrel or the, the hidden basket or all kinds of different things that they would give you a list for to find. Well, many of these, <clears throat> excuse me, the Netherlandish uh, school they were known to um, insert symbols throughout their paintings. And I think that gives the viewer something to, something to wander through the painting for and to enter into the narrative even more deeply for. I see myself at least five symbols in the painting. Let me try and describe them for you to help you um, enter in on different layers to see um, a more complex painting than just a two-dimensional, beautifully executed, but even a more complex statement by Hans Memling. The first thing is a, a very subtle white vase with lilies, white lilies in it. Uh, it's just placed off to the right of Mary and um, the little stand that holds her Bible. Lilies, white lilies, are typical to 15th century artists as symbols of Mary's purity. And Hans Memling has just slipped that in, uh, a subtle statement reminding us of who this young virgin is. 
Then the second thing I see is uh, how Memling has found a way to depict the humanity of Christ in the bed curtain. The bed curtains around the beds back then were very elaborate and uh, heavy, like um, a four-poster bed, but they're hanging as uh, these velvet curtains. And on one side, the bed curtain has been gathered up into a womb-like shape. It's as if the curtain has been um, scooped up and then something has been tied around it and it drapes and um, hangs in this womb-like shape, this uh, red velvet. And it reminds us of the embryonic state of Christ in Mary's womb. The third symbol I see uh, hidden in this beautiful depiction is the light that comes through the window in the upper left side of the painting. It's a a really subtle depiction, and it comes through the uh, window effective uh, in in just this light and delicate way. It's not, um, it doesn't take your attention away from the main focus of Mary or Gabriel, but it's effectively used to highlight the concept of the Holy Spirit coming upon Mary. Artists back then often utilized the metaphor of light coming through glass to convey the holy conception. And in this painting, the upper left has a very simple and humble window, divided pane, and you can see the light coming through that glass, just delicately spilling into the room. And uh, Memling's very subtle statement of the light coming into the room as if the Holy Conception, the Holy Spirit coming upon Mary. Then there's a table beside the bed and uh, there are items on it. One is a a water bottle, a clear, beautifully executed. um, If you're a painter, you know how difficult it is to paint a clear glass bottle with clear water inside it. And Memling's depiction of this, it's a slender neck with a a rounded bottom to the glass bottle. And it sits on the bedside table and shows light passing through it and a shadow of a cross behind it, ever reminding us of the child Savior, the beautiful incarnation that Christ has come, both deity and humanity, to dwell among us. And then the last symbol I wanted to bring out, the fifth thing, on that same table, you'll see a candle holder, and it has no candle, and then a rope wick in the uh, typical oil light, but it has no flame. Both of these symbols so beautifully placed and so uh, beautiful to communicate the world before the light of the world has come. Memling knows the story is so beautiful from the gospel of the light of the world coming into the world, and he has um, so perfectly spoken that language just by these few items that he's placed on the bedside table. Much of this type of information comes from reading about art of this time and from reading about this particular piece. It's fascinating if you want to do more work on your own. 
But the early Netherlandish school was known for including symbols like this, and I find it helps me to engage with the work, to look for them and to see more of this narrative being communicated. I can imagine Hans Memling just carefully thinking, how can I tell the wonderful story of Christ's come to earth, of God's Son coming, both God and human, to uh, come to earth to save us from our sins. This beautiful moment when Gabriel tells Mary what God has invited her to be a part of is a seminal moment in the incarnation story. And clearly Memling has bathed himself in that story so that all of these symbols can enlarge it even more for the viewer. Well, our scripture today is a beautiful accompaniment for the art. It's Mary's song of praise, the Magnificat, as it is known from Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 55. In the few verses just before this, Mary's response to Gabriel, simple and surrendered, is recorded in verse 38. It always humbles me when I read this each year. She says to the angel, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Can you imagine this young girl, this young virgin girl, first of all, being uh, encountering this angel, first of all, what an amazing experience that must have been for her, but then to be told that she had been chosen to bear the Christ child. What an astonishing message for her. And she doesn't stammer. She doesn't ask a million questions. She doesn't say, how can this be? And what about my reputation? What she says is, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Be it unto me according to your word. And now her song of praise. I'll read from that beautiful section in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 55. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. This was Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 55. Well, today's prayer focus is salvation so let me lead us in a prayer for all of our loved ones and all of our friends that they would come to know 
this great and wonderful, gentle Father who has sent his Son. Lord, you are so good. We're so grateful for your love for us that because of that, you have sent your Son for the joy of our salvation. Lord, today we think of um, friends that we've prayed for for many, many years who so desperately need to know you and your salvation. For many friends who, um, who wander in uh, either uh, anxiety or deep depression or maybe their lives just, it seems like day to day they've tried so many different directions uh, things just don't seem to come together and they keep trying other things. And Lord, we've prayed for them for so long. We pray that perhaps it would be this year that they would be overcome by your great affection for them, that they would know at this Christmas the love of your son, Jesus Christ, who came, who gave up the throne of heaven to humble himself, to come to earth, while he maintained his deity, he also humbled himself to be clothed in the flesh of humankind that he might rescue us from our own sins because you so loved the world. We pray for our friends, for our family, for those who uh, we walk with on a day-to-day -day basis and maybe people that we're afraid to even bring it up with, but that we silently pray for, daily longing for them to come to know you. Lord, use us in whatever way you would see fit to allow them to come to know this amazing mercy that you have sent through your Son. Lord, thank you that you have and that your mercy is for them. We pray all this in your great name, and we sing hallelujah with the angels. Glory be to you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Curate's Corner with Kim Thomas is a resource of the Village Chapel in Nashville, Tennessee. If you find this daily podcast beneficial, leave a review and share it with friends and family. For more resources or to support our ministry, visit thevillagechapel.com. Music for this podcast by Charlie Peacock.